All right, all right. We are so glad that you've chosen to join us today. And once again, a very Merry Christmas season to you. It's one of my favorite times of the year, and it was actually one of my favorite times of the year, not only because my wife starts celebrating um, long before even uh, Halloween comes, but it's because we're always reminded of not only who we love, worship, and serve in Jesus Christ of Nazareth, but why we do. And I don't know about you, but I've always wanted to be one of Jesus' main men who were were walking around with him during his earthly ministry, uh, seeing the miracles that he did, hearing his teachings in person, being an eyewitness to all of his goodness. But not only that, but the, uh, the really salvific work that he did in his death, burial, and resurrection on the cross. And all that to be able to see his majesty up front. But that's what we're going to be focusing on um, over the next several weeks is we're going to be focusing on the majesty of God. And we're going to focus today on this statement that we will come to put our trust fully in God when we see that his majesty revealed was both predicted in the scriptures and fulfilled in the life and the person of Jesus Christ. We're going to break the message down into three parts to talk about this today. We're going to talk first about the prophecies which predicted the coming of Jesus. This is the Christmas season, so we are once again focusing in our calendar year on the fact that God sent his son to be the savior of the world, but he not only did it in, um, um, in, in a chronological period of time, but had predicted it long in advance so that we would recognize him when he came. Secondly, we're going to talk about the fulfillment of those prophecies and what they tell us about the majesty of God. And then finally, we're going to talk about the majesty of Jesus. The majesty of Jesus, which is a direct reflection of God the Father. And so before we do anything else, let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word to us today. And we thank you that you've given it to us, that we might know you and love you. God, we're asking you that you would help us to see you clearly as you are today. And come to, really in this holiday season, to love and worship you more for not only what you've done, but who you are as predicted in your word and also fulfilled in the person and the life of Jesus of Nazareth. We thank you for it all in his mighty name. Amen. Okay, so let's first talk about the prophecies. Let's talk about the prophecies. When we're talking about um, the majesty of God, we're talking about God's splendor, his goodness, his beauty, but also his authority over all heaven and earth, his creation, but also the timeline and the events of human history that have brought about his purposes in the earth. Obviously, we know the story is that God made us by his power and for himself, but because of our wrongdoing and sin, which includes yours and mine, we were all separated from God and destined for hell. But God came on a rescue mission for us to redeem us, buy us back, and put us back on track with his glorious, majestic purposes. And really what we see is that he didn't do that arbitrarily. He didn't just wake up one day and say, you know what, I need to save the world. But he had a plan from the beginning of time, since the time of our fall, where he was putting um, uh, events and uh, timelines and family histories into place by which he would bring about the solution for our sin, which would ultimately be the person of Jesus. But he would predict that he would do it long before Jesus ever showed up, long before we had a reason to celebrate this Christmas season. He would predict 
his work in the prophecies that he gave about his son. And so what we see is that God prepared us to experience his majesty by predicting the advent, meaning the coming of his son, Jesus Christ. And Peter, who I referenced already in this message, was one of Jesus' main men during his earthly ministry, who was an eyewitness to not only what he did, but heard all that he said, and was a witness of his death, burial, and resurrection from the dead. And he spoke about prophecy this way. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 16, he said, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, then the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. And Peter is referring back to an account in the gospel where they were together on with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. And God the Father was verifying the identity of Jesus, his son, but with an audible voice. Can you imagine that? With God speaking with an audible voice saying, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. He's the one you've been waiting for. Now listen to him. And Peter's saying to all his listeners, listen, this is why we worship him, because God himself, God the Father, with an audible voice, put a stamp of approval on him. And Peter went on to say, and we have the prophetic word, which spoke about Jesus and his coming. He said, we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place, even as many people are spiritual nowadays, trying to figure out the meaning of life and what the higher power would have them do, what the universe would ultimately speak to them. God's saying, I'm not an amorphous being. I am a distinct person with a personality, with an intelligent design, with thoughts, and I made them known in the person of my son. He's saying this lamp is shining in a dark place to give illumination to all of life, to all of your circumstances, to how to have relationship with this God. And he says, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts that you have revelation of him, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And of course, what Peter's talking about here is the prophecy of Scripture. Not just somebody on a street corner prophesying, saying, or predicting something about the future. Maybe they might be right, maybe they may not be, but they may, may often be cuckoo, right? The thing about it is he's talking about the prophecy of Scripture by which God himself, by his authority, was speaking through distinct men to reveal his will, ultimately, that will culminate in the person of his son who would be savior of the world. And what we see is that after the crucifixion, burial, and resurrection of Jesus of Nazareth, the apostles, who were the representatives of Jesus being sent out into the world to proclaim his good news, the good news of the Christmas season, the good news of all that was to come through Jesus' sinless life, death, miracle, uh, the miracles, death, burial, and resurrection. All that they would, um, all the apostles would appeal to, they would spread the good news of Christ's messiahship, which the Messiah was basically the 
the Savior, the Deliverer that the Jewish people would look forward to who would literally deliver them from their oppressors. At that time, it was the Roman government, but really it was the oppressor of their soul, Satan himself, who was coming to bind them, to torment them through the demons of hell, to really wreck their lives through stealing from them, killing them, and destroying them. He said the Messiah would come to be the great deliverer, but the apostles would speak of Christ Jesus and his messiahship by appealing to two primary sets of evidence. The first set of evidence was Jesus' bodily resurrection from the dead in accordance with Jesus' own predictions about his resurrection during his earthly ministry. You might remember in Matthew chapter 20, verse 17 through 19, it said this, and as Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, going to the cross to be crucified. He took the 12 disciples aside and on the way he said to them, see, we are going up to Jerusalem and the son of man, which was Jesus' favorite name for himself, will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified and he will be raised on the third day. So Jesus repeatedly, while he was doing his miracles, while he was giving his teachings that were unparalleled in the history of mankind, while he was showing his sinless life, he was also predicting ultimately his death, his death on this cross, but not only his death, but his resurrection from the dead, which would be the greatest miracle of all, showing with power that he had this connection with God, but that not only he had this connection with God, but was God in the flesh. And the apostles appealed to this piece of evidence. This is why Paul the Apostle began his letter to the Romans this way in Romans chapter 1. He said, Romans chapter 1 verse 1, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel, meaning the good news of God, which he promised beforehand, once again, through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son who was descended from David, an important point, which we'll get to in a little bit here, according to the flesh, and was declared to be the Son of God in power, according to the spirit of holiness, by his resurrection from the dead. So Paul was saying, listen, that's evidence for his identity. His resurrection from the dead is evidence that Jesus is a unique Son of God with power. And it says, Jesus Christ, our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. So again, the first appeal that the apostles made to the evidence of Jesus' unique identity was his resurrection from the dead. But it wasn't only his resurrection from the dead. What we see is that the scripture was written over a 2,000 year period, meaning the Bible, including the Old Testament, was written over a 2,000 year period, and it contains more than 300 distinct references to the coming Messiah. So again, the Jews were God's select people by whom he was going to work his plan to reconcile all of humanity to himself. But he wouldn't just do it through a return to morality. He said, I would do it through a return to me through my son, Jesus, who would be the Messiah. He would be the one to provide a means for reconciliation because of what he would do on the cross, taking our punishment, taking the wrath of God on himself. 
but also providing that forgiveness of sins and the access to eternal life because of his resurrection from the dead. And so he said, ultimately, all of the Old Testament was foreshadowing, was prophesying about, was predicting the coming of this Messiah, predicting the coming of this Savior of the world who we celebrate during the Christmas season. This is why we have great joy. And we see that, in essence, God was creating a URL address. Think of when you look up something on a website, right? When you go to Google and you put in the exact web address to get to maybe your favorite uh, shopping uh uh, shopping site for the Christmas season, or you may have gone there for Black Friday uh, right after the Thanksgiving season, right? You're looking for the Christmas presents, but got to get to the exact website based on the URL address, the exact characters, the exact numbers that are going to take you to the address of your favorite site. God was in essence, through the prophecies, giving an exact address for what the Messiah would look like. He said, when he shows up, when the Savior of the world comes, I don't want you to be confused. I don't want you to be scratching your head. I want you to know how to recognize him so that you might relate with him, so that you might come back into relationship with me through him. And I'm going to give you specific things that talk about his nature, his life, his ministry, his death, burial, and resurrection, but also because we're in the Christmas season, we're going to focus a little bit on his birth today. Things that no ordinary man or woman could control, but Jesus ultimately fulfilled by the power of God. Okay, so we have the prophecies, but let's talk about the fulfillment. The fulfillment of the prophecies point to the majesty of God in displaying his sovereignty over all of creation and human history. And I think about that often, especially when we're going through tough times, right? I'm like, listen, if I'm going through a tough time, does God really see me? Does God see my family? Does God really care about the minutia? Well, you know what I'm reminded about? I'm reminded about the minutia and how he cared about the details of the prophecies that he gave and the fulfillments that were ultimately met in the person of Christ, that God is in the details, not the devil's in the details, God is in the details, to be concerned and care about that which he's spoken and wants to ultimately fulfill through his son Jesus. And if he's able to do that through his son, Jesus, you better believe he's able to be concerned about the smaller things that have to do with my life and your life. And that's good news to us. And what we see is that in the prophecies and their subsequent fulfillments in Jesus, God was showing his majesty doing what no other man or woman could do. He was ordering human history itself. And in Isaiah chapter 46, verses 9 and 10, he spoke about this. He said, part of the reason for the prophecies is to show my majesty, to show who I am. And in Isaiah 46, he said, remember the former things of old. For I am God and there is no other. And that God was Yahweh, the, the, the God who had revealed himself uh, um, uh, distinctly to the people of Israel. He says, for I am God and there is no other, meaning there's only one God, monotheism. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things that are yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. 
So in the fulfillment of the prophecy, God was showing his majesties by saying, I'm not only predicting things, like I'm predicting the direction of the stock market or I'm predicting, you know, who's going to win the NBA finals or the Super Bowl this year. You may be right, you may be wrong, right? DraftKings. <laughs> but what we see is that God says, I am God and there's no one like me. And I am showing my majesty by showing my control over even human history, the affairs of all mankind, family lines themselves by bringing fulfillment to the prophecies that I made about my son, the Messiah, the savior of the world who was to come, who we celebrate in this Christmas season. And again, the work and person of Christ were brought um, to fulfillment, meaning that everything in the Old Testament was a foreshadowing of the person and the work of Christ, even down to things. If you're a student of the Old Testament of the Levitical feasts, a lot of times people might open the Bible and think that only the New Testament is important, but the Old Testament is the foundation for everything that Jesus accomplished in the New Testament. And we see this even in the feasts that many times people think were Jewish feasts that are irrelevant to us today or have no practical application for us today. But the truth of the matter is, is when we study not just some, but the whole of God's counsel, the whole of the Bible, we get a better understanding of who he is and his majesty. Let me give you some examples that were pointed out by a scholar named Norman Geisler. I will give you the example of several feasts and ultimately how they were prophetic pictures of ultimately what would be uh, fulfilled in the person and the work of Christ. Let's start with an April uh, fest, uh, feast called the Passover. If you grew up in a Jewish family or you have Jewish friends, you're familiar with this festival, right? Celebrating God's exodus, bringing the Israelites out of their slavery in Egypt and bringing them into the promised land of modern day Israel. It was a foreshadowing of the bondage that God would take us out of uh, from our sin in Christ and then ultimately bring us to the freedom in Christ that he purchased for us on the cross. And so the Passover feast, which was celebrated in April, was actually a foreshadowing of the death of Christ. The Feast of Unleavened Bread, also celebrated in April, was a foreshadowing of the Holy Walk. Jesus making his way to be crucified in Jerusalem. April's Feast of Firstfruits was a picture of the resurrection of Christ, a prediction or a foreshadowing of the resurrection of Christ, where even as Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 talks about Christ Jesus being the first fruits of the resurrection, being the first of the resurrected from the dead, who would also lead in his train, bring with him to be bodily resurrected those who put their trust in him and been waiting for him. And whenever I'm talking to family members or friends or people in the community who've dealt with physical ailments, I always speak of the fact that there is going to be a bodily resurrection for those who are in Christ, where there'll be no more crying or weeping or pain because he's going to make all things new. And in making all things new, it's a part of us following him as the first fruits of the resurrection. He also speaks of Pentecost, a June festival or celebration, a feast, where the outpouring of the Holy Spirit 
gave us power to live as a witness for him. The Feast of Trumpets in September the, uh, was about the Israel's regathering, which God would gather his people together. The Feast of Atonement in September talked about the cleansing by Christ that we received because of his blood spilled on the cross. And the Feast of Tabernacles in September talks about the rest and reunion that we'll have with Christ in his second advent. We're celebrating his first advent, his first coming in the Christmas season, but there's also a second advent to come where Jesus is going to make his return, not to die for the sins of the world, but ultimately to judge the world and bring to himself those who've been waiting for him. Now, when we talk about the Christmas season, though, it's not just talking about what the, the prophecies that would be fulfilled in the life and the work of Christ, but it's also speaking about things that were URL. Think again, that URL address to specifically identify him when he showed up. Things that if he were you or me, we could not control. You see, my last name is Fisher, and I love being part of the Fisher family. But the thing about it is, is that I, though I have a great family, I didn't choose the family to, into which I was born, and nor did you. But when God was giving this URL address for the Messiah, what he was doing is he said, I want you to be able to identify him, and I'm going to give you prophecies by which you have specifics of knowing where he's going to come from, when he's going to come, where he would be born, all things that he couldn't control in and of himself if he was trying to put himself forward as a religious figure or an important figure on his own. Jesus was the fulfillment of prophecies that God made about the Savior of the world. Let's talk about at least 12 of them. These are in your notes on the screen, but again, take out a pen and paper, because if you are a Christian, these are reasons for the hope that you have. As the Apostle Peter talked about, he said, always be ready to give a reason for the hope that you have, but do it with gentleness and respect. And if you're somebody who God's drawing to himself and you're considering whether or not Jesus is worthy of your worship, these are things that are going to give you even more confidence. Now, we're not going to go through all the 300 prophecies that were fulfilled in him, the 300 plus prophecies that were fulfilled in him. We're just focusing on the ones about Christmas, the advent, his coming his birth today. But as a seeker, they can give you great confidence for putting your trust in Jesus so that you might know him and love him as he is. Let's talk about those 12. First of all, number one, it was said of the Messiah, the Savior, that he would be born of the seed of a woman. In Genesis 3.15, it's giving the account of the fall of Adam and Eve, where we were basically had sin or our wrongdoing, our rebellion introduced into the world. After being tempted by Satan, Adam and Eve fell and they were separated from God because of their sin. This is the beginning of the gospel account. But what we see is that God came looking for Adam and Eve, just like he comes looking for you and me to bring us back to himself. And God said in Genesis 3.15, and I will put enmity between you and the woman, speaking to Satan, the serpent, and your, um, between your seed and her seed. He, meaning the seed, shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. So meaning that there would be a war between the serpent and the seed of the woman, meaning that there would be a savior that comes from a woman to bring salvation to the posterity of Adam and Eve who would come out of their loins. And what would happen is, is that there would be great war between the seed 
and the serpent, but the seed, meaning Jesus, the Messiah, would bruise his head and crush according to the word of God, Satan under his feet. So the one who comes to steal, kill, and destroy your life, it said that the seed would crush his head. But it also says that the serpent would bite his heel. So meaning even in the war, there would be a retribution. That meaning that there would be a death that the seed would experience, would ultimately, he would experience on the cross, but that death would ultimately lead to a resurrection that brought you and I life. Prophecy number one, fulfilled in Galatians 4.4, 4, it says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, and born under law. So when we worship Jesus, we are not worshiping someone who is unable to identify with our humanity. He doesn't just give commands to be obeyed. He says, I've been there. I know what it takes. Now follow and trust me. I'm able to identify with your weakness. I'm able to identify with your temptations, but I never sinned and I will show you the way out. And matter of fact, I'll give you power to come out if you turn from your sin and trust in me. He said this was all the importance of not only that prophecy that the Messiah would be born of a woman, but also it was fulfilled in the person of Jesus. Number two, many of you have heard of the prophecy of the Messiah or the Savior being born of a virgin. Isaiah 7, 14 says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel which means God with us. And so what we see is that God himself was going to come to be with us, but he was going to be not just born of the flesh, but he was going to be born of God. What's called the hypostatic union. Jesus was 100% God, but he was also 100% flesh. So he was able to be the perfect savior of humanity and be the perfect bridge reconciling God and man because he was both divine and human. And that's what we see fulfilled in Matthew 1, 18 and verses 24 and 25. It said that she, meaning Mary, was found with child of the Holy Spirit who had come to overshadow her. And then Joseph, to whom she was betrothed naturally, did not know her till she had brought forth her firstborn son and he called his name Jesus, which means God saves, speaking about not only Jesus' identity, but also his work. Let's go on to prophecy number three. God said that this Messiah would be called not just a deliverer, not just a rescuer, not just a savior, but this deliverer would be called, this Messiah would be called the Son of God. In Psalm chapter 2, 7, he says, I will declare the decree. The Lord had said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Meaning that Jesus is literally God in the flesh where Jesus literally was born of a woman, took on flesh, and chose in God's majesty and glory to walk amongst us. And that was important because in Mark 3, uh, I'm sorry, Matthew 3, 17, it said, and suddenly a voice from, came from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. That was the encounter that Peter was referring to, right? He was saying, not only on the Mount of Transfiguration, but also in this um, um, at the time of Jesus' baptism, that same audible voice 
came as a stamp of approval saying, not only is he a deliverer, not only is he a savior, but you're literally being reconciled to God, not just through another prophet or wise man, but you're being reconciled, brought back into friendship with God through God himself, his own son coming to walk amongst you. So the fact that Jesus was this predicted and fulfilled son of God was an important point. Number four, he would be again. Now hear me on this the seed of Abraham, which again, we know that Abraham is referred to as the patriarch of several, at least three different major world religions, Christianity, Judaism, from which Christianity springs. Christianity is just a continuation of Judaism. And then also Islam all point to this man, Abraham. And the reason why is because Abraham had two sons. One was a man named Ishmael, by which you see the Muslim population um, point to their heritage. But the other was a son named Isaac. And it said that, first of all, this Messiah, you need to understand, was going to come from the seed of Abraham. If he did not come from Abraham's family line, it's not him, is what God was saying. In Genesis 22:18, he said, In your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you, Abraham, have obeyed my voice. And so it's important that we see that this good news for all creation, remember that in the Christmas songs that we sing and the angels proclaimed? It's because of the fact that this salvation that was coming through Jesus was for the whole world, but it was coming through the seed of Abraham. He said, this was ultimately fulfilled when we see in the genealogy of Jesus, Matthew 1, Jesus was called the son of Abraham. But it wasn't just the son of Abraham. He said he had to be also the son of Isaac. In, prophet, um, in Genesis 21, 12, prophecy number five, he says, but God said to Abraham, in Isaac, your seed shall be called. And ultimately that was fulfilled when in Luke 23, again, 24, Luke's genealogy of Jesus, Jesus was called the son of Isaac. But not just the son of Isaac, Isaac had kids too. He said, it's got to be the son of Abraham, it's got to be the son of Isaac, but also the son of your uh, Isaac's son, Jacob. And Isaac had two sons, one named Esau, one named Jacob. And he said, the Messiah has to come through this man named Jacob. And he said this in Genesis 35, verse 10 through 12. I see him, but not now. I behold him, meaning the Messiah, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob. A scepter shall rise out of Israel. And meaning the rulership shall rise out of Israel and batter the brow of Moab and destroy all the sons of Tumult. And ultimately we see in the genealogies again that Jesus was called Matthew 1, the son of Jacob. But he wasn't just the son of Jacob. Jacob had 12 sons, um, which were ultimately the tribes of Israel that we see in the Old Testament. And he said that it would be one of his sons, Judah, who would continue that ongoing line of the Messiah. And prophecy number seven in Genesis 49, 10, it said the scepter, again, talking about rulership, where Jesus was gonna be king of kings and Lord of lords. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh, meaning peace. God wants to bring peace. And Jesus was proclaimed the Prince of Peace until Shiloh comes and to him shall be the obedience of the people. And so ultimately this was fulfilled where in Luke 3, 23, again, it was said that Jesus was a son or of Judah. 
He also would go down the family line in Prophecy 8, talking about the family line of Jesse. Jesse was the father of King David, this second king of Israel. And in Isaiah 11:1, 1, it said that this Savior, this Messiah, there shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. Luke 3:23 and 32 says Jesus was the son of Jesse, but Jesse had a son who was King David. And this is that to which uh, Paul was referring in Romans 1 when he talked about uh, Jesus being a, an important, necessary descendant of David. And it says in Jeremiah 3, uh, 23, 5, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will raise to David a branch of righteousness, meaning that God's righteousness is given to us in Jesus Christ. We don't make our way to God or we don't do all the right things to be approved of God uh, on our own, but it's the righteousness of Jesus that gives us our right standing with God. And he says, A branch of righteousness, a king shall reign and prosper and execute judgment and righteousness on the earth. But he's got to be of David. And we, call, we see him called the son of David in Luke chapter 3. But it wasn't just about the family line that he was born to. It was also where Jesus was born. And Jesus, as you remember the Christmas stories, was born in Bethlehem. Now, why is that important? It's important because of prophecy number 10. It said in Micah chapter 5, 2, that you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, Though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from of old, from everlasting. Meaning the ruler that would be born in Bethlehem was actually an eternal one, right? Many of you have seen the recent Marvel movie, The Eternals. Well, Jesus is the OG, the original and the only eternal. And what we see is that he was the born in Bethlehem according to the word of this prophecy. And Matthew 2.1 says it this way, that Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea. But not only that, but many of you remember that when he was born, there were wise men who came from the far east in relationship to the Middle East where Jesus was born. And it said that he would be presented with gifts. You know, prophecy number 11, Psalm 72.10 says, The kings of Tarshish, Tarshish and of the isles will bring presents. The kings of Sheba and Seba will offer gifts. And that's a part of the story that we love. And if you're from a Latino culture, maybe you um, love celebrating Three Kings Day. And I love it. And the thing about it is, is that he says this is a celebration of the fulfillment of that prophecy in Matthew 2, 1 and 11, where he says, Wise men from the east came to Jerusalem and fell down and worshipped him, meaning Jesus. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him. They presented gifts to him in the midst of his uh, revelation of his, the majesty of God to the world. Now, the thing is, is that they came to worship him because they recognized that he was the king. But there was a final prophecy um, that regarded the uh, Herod the Great, who was also ruling at the time of Jesus' birth. And he didn't want to be displaced as a king. He was a paranoid, neurotic, known for killing members of his own family to uh, maintain his throne. And he, during the time of Jesus, enacted a mass program of infanticide to try to get rid of that 
baby, that child that the wise men came to worship. But that was predicted in prophecy number 12. Jeremiah 31, 15 says, Thus says the Lord, a voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation and bitter weeping. Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted for her children because they are no more. And that was the area in which the infanticide took place. And we see, unfortunately, that this was what happened in Matthew 2.16, where it says, Then Herod, when he saw that he was deceived by the wise men, was exceedingly angry, and he sent forth and put to death all the male children who were in Bethlehem and in all its districts from two years old and under, according to the time which he had determined from the wise men. And so ultimately, we see that the devil tried to stop the salvific purpose and the salvific plan that God was enacting, enacting by the fulfillment of prophecy about his son, Jesus. But because of God's sovereignty, his majesty, his authority, even over human history itself, the devil's plans could not prevail. And we see that ultimately Jesus in his advent, in his coming, which we celebrate during this Christmas season, would bring life to the world. And that is why we worship the majesty of Jesus. The advent of Jesus was given as a gift to not only display the majesty of God, but to invite the world into that majesty. And the majesty of Jesus was in his pre-existence, but also the fact that he was co-eternal of the same substance of God and through his life, miracles, death, burial, and resurrection, bringing the world back into relationship with himself. And so the final scripture that we'll read that ties it all together is Hebrews chapter one, speaking about the majesty of Jesus Christ. And it says long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. And so we see in this Christmas season, we celebrate the advent of Christ, the coming of the Savior, the unique Son of God into the world to reconcile you and me to a holy and righteous God who's displayed his majesty through his Son, but ultimately says, I've got to deal with the sin that separated you and me from the beginning. And as we turn to Jesus during this uh, Christmas season and we worship him as he is, what we do is we get to come back into God's majestic plan where God said, I made you by my power and for myself. And as you receive what Jesus did for you, not only in his identity, but what he did for you on the cross by his death, burial and resurrection, God said he can make you new and set you on course in freedom to live according to the relationship, life, and purpose that he has for you. So let's go into this Christmas season with this in mind, giving God the honor that he's due because of his revealed majesty in Jesus Christ. And let's pray. And let's, if, I, if I'm speaking to you today and you know you've never come into that relationship with God through Jesus his son and what he's done for you on the cross, let's start with you by praying together today. 
Almighty God, I admit to you today that I'm a sinner. And I know that I deserve death and hell because of my wrongdoing. I know that I've, I've been separated from you because of my sin. But I don't want hell. And I, I believe that you sent Jesus according to your predictions, your prophecies, and your fulfilled word to live the perfect life that I should have lived. And on the cross, die the sacrificial death that I should have died in my place so that as I turn from my sin and put my trust in you, I can not only receive forgiveness for those sins, but also new life in you. God, would you forgive me today? Would you make me a new creation today? And would you give me the power to love you and follow you as I've always been meant to do as I proclaim Jesus my Lord today? Thank you for revealing your majesty to me. In Jesus' name, amen. Now the good news is if you prayed that prayer, God said he's made you a new creation. So would you go with me to our website, secondcitychurch.com slash newlife. There you can find not only resources, but next steps of how to walk out this new life in Christ. And for the rest of us who've already received the good news of God, let's go back into worship now, honoring God for his majesty revealed in his son Jesus, predicted, fulfilled, and ultimately on display permanently in the person of Jesus our Lord. Amen.